You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Well, that's an incredible song of victory, is it not? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at one of my favorite texts. I bring you greetings all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil, for those I haven't seen. I'm, uh, you either do it or you don't. You either fired up to see me or you're not fired up to see me. So it's either, okay, there we go. Uh, we had uh, an incredible time down there being with the church, being with the disciples, and uh, seeing God move in a radical way in the church. Uh, when I uh, hear that song earlier, I mean, I just it just gets me a little bit teary because I think about uh, what it meant historically, uh, and at the end of the day, it just means a great, great, great victory. And uh, I see all of us as disciples marching to Zion, marching into heaven, being able to say, hey, once we see God, we'll be able to look him in the eye, and we'll be so encouraged that all the battles battles that we fought and all the, all the ups and the downs, they all mean something when we get to heaven. And we'll be able to be together as one big family, no tears, no crying, no, no worry, no struggle, no, 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 no fear of a school shooting or anything like that that we have to deal with. We'll be able to be in heaven and we'll be able to say glory, glory, hallelujah. I made it to heaven. You know, the brothers and sisters down in Brazil are doing an amazing job building God's kingdom, building God's church. Uh, they, they had an incredible, incredible harvest. Michelle and I uh, arrived and we had time with the world sector leaders. Uh, of course, we got a chance to spend time together and disciple one another. Uh, that means to correct and teach with the Bible for those visiting for the first time. Uh, we had an incredible time of uh, strengthening and just spending time together and praying for God's movement, praying for God to do radical things. Uh, of course, then we went to uh, Brazil and we got to the Brazil campus service. Now, the service was run by all campus students. Okay? Now, let me tell you something about the disciples there. Most of the region leaders are campus students that are not only campus students, they're full-time campus students and leading regions with married disciples in them. That campus service, their first service, they had five baptisms. Now, what was so powerful about that is not only were there five victorious miracles, this was the week before their conference. Now, for those that know, when you have a conference, it's, it's quite challenging to get things going. And so uh, you have a lot to do. You have to be the host. You have to serve. You have to do well spiritually and, you know, pick up all those drop balls and all those last-minute phone calls and airport runs that you have to do. And so with all of that, they still had five baptisms. And the following week, they didn't have five baptisms. They had seven baptisms. <laughs> God is bringing victory down there. We were very, very inspired at the heart of the disciples. Servants like you would not believe. Uh, it was very, very encouraging. Half of them have listened to half the sermons online and, and really follow us. One young man is so excited about the work in Europe. He says, listen, I want to fi finish my degree fast enough. And if nobody wants to train with you over there, Michael, to lead a church, no young people have put their hands up. I want to lead the church in Italy. I'm moving to London. I'm calling my mom, who is not a disciple, to come move with me. She said she'd move with him, Luke is coming to London right there. He wants to lead the great church in Italy. I wonder if that young man is here today. In Manila, they had an incredible time down there, just looking at all the good news. I mean, they've had, I think last Sunday, they had four baptisms. Uh, and this, after, this is after uh, Satan has gone after them with all kinds of challenges. But they're experiencing victory down there. And most encouraging for me was seeing last week that our, our church down in Mexico, of course, down in Mexico, uh, they had a conference literally a week after 
after the Brazil conference. And they didn't have just one baptism on Sunday. They didn't have two baptisms on Sunday. They didn't have three baptisms on Sunday. They didn't have four baptisms. They didn't have five. They didn't have ten baptisms on Sunday. They had 16 people baptized into Christ. This is God's modern day movement. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, I'll just read it to you. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? <laughs> if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, Peter did a great job telling us who can be against us. <laughs> the devil right there. I love the Birmingham boys. You see a change, not only in Frank, but you see a change in Peter right there raising on up. In verse 30, he says, no. In all things, we are more than conquerors through our intellect, no. through our, in our, 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 our experience, no. through our nation. No. no, through him who loved us. <laughs> For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the church said, yeah. I pray you can't be separated from your love for God. The false teaching is that God will never stop loving you. And that is true. But God loves a lot of people that are on their way to hell. God's love is unconditional. If you're a Christian, he loves you. If you're not a Christian, God totally loves you. God has loved all the men who are evil throughout mankind's history. God has loved every single individual that he's created because he created you good. God's love is unconditional. Don't worry about God. He comes through. He is faithful. But if you do not have a relationship with God, if you don't love God, you can't have a relationship with him. His love is unconditional, but a relationship with him is totally conditional. There are conditions to you being able to say, I have a relationship with God. Those conditions are not how you feel. Those conditions are not how you were raised. Those conditions are found in the only, the most powerful thing that I hope you're holding in your hand. The Holy Bible, the Word of God. You know, we live in a time where people are afraid to hold the Word of God. They heard they hold the iPhone nowadays. Don't want anybody to know they're a Christian. But I hold my Bible because it's all I got. I pray you're still a Bible disciple. Yeah. That you're not afraid to pull out your Bible on the tube. Yeah. That you put your Bible right next to those study books right there, campus students. Yeah. That you set your Bible right at your desk right there for those of you married professionals right there. Yeah. That you are not afraid or ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God. You know, I've been able to speak to the men. We uh, spoke to, uh, well, I spoke to the North Region last week, and I talked to them about something that I think is really hurting the world. It, and the title of the lesson was simply, The Sin Delusion. <laughs> and I, I, I highlighted a few things in the Word of God. I highlighted a few things in mankind's history, some that have been seen as probably the most wicked in, in, in history, whether it was Adolf Hitler, whether it was Pol Pot, and I asked the church, I said, what, what's the most evil thing you can do to, to, in the eyes of God? Who's the most evil person? And everybody, you know, kind of had some thoughts. We went through those people, and yet you look at Hebrews. The Bible says in Hebrews, see to it that nobody has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. And I made the point that the most wicked sin is unbelief. Not unbelief of those who are coming to faith, but those who have the faith and then have a sinful, 
unbelieving heart and turn away from God. That's the sin delusion. I then was able to inspire the other brothers to help them understand that the greatest ability is dependability. Doesn't matter how strong you are physically. It doesn't matter how weak you are physically. But the greatest ability is dependability. And yet I believe our God wants us to be dependable. Not only should we be depending on him, we should be dependable to get his message out for his glory. And yet today, the title of our lesson comes from 1970s TV show. Yes, I'm dating myself a little bit. I keep my hair cut low so you don't see my gray hairs. But my daughter sees them every day. She tells me, Dad, you need to cut your spikes. She's reminding me. She's just like her mom. So it's all good. But I remember in the 70s, there was a TV show. I I used to love watching sports. And that TV show would always have a caption that would highlight it. It was called The Wild World of Sports. And it was interesting because it would show two two contrasts. It would show uh, an individual kicking the soccer ball or the football. And the, the ball would go into the goal. And wow, what a great score. And you would see the thrill of people being so excited for victory. And then it would show another caption of a guy in a boxing match taking a punch. <laughs> the mouthpiece flying, <laughs> the spit flying, the juices, the blood. And then they would just say, the agony of defeat. <laughs> and so it kept showing those captions, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. The thrill of victory, someone doing something great, the agony of defeat, someone losing. <laughs> and it was just go back and forth and back and forth and became a tagline. And yet I really believe the Christian life can be like that. You experience the thrill of victory. And then... The agony of defeat. Not agony of defeat, like the feet, like a brother's feet or anything like that. We're not talking about Jermaine's feet or... But being defeated by the devil. Starting to believe his lies. Given the fact that we had to have a scripture on enthusiasm, some of you already believe his lies. When I think of victory, I I, I think of... You know, I'm a sporting guy. I think about Golden State Warriors blowing out the OKC. I, uh, I, I think about Groves beating Eubanks right there for those boxing fans that are out there. Uh, I think about the, 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 the Olympics that are going on right now. Of course, it looks like uh, it was a shock, but the U.S. had a gold medal match against, uh, they're in the gold medal match with, with Finland. Uh, it sounds like uh, Norway's doing the best. They have 14 golds. Got some Norwegians in the house here. Amen. <laughs> Germany has 14 as well now. They've, they've tied. Yuri's all of a sudden fired up. He's got the thrill of victory all of a sudden. Canada's got 11. U.S. has 9. The Netherlands has 8. Sorry, Tommy Wah. At least you got 8 right there. You're in there. Maybe, you're, uh, maybe your side of victory or your, your style of victory or your excitement is Arsenal playing this afternoon. I think they play Man City, right? Sandra told me that Man City's going to win already. She says... I hope I didn't offend anybody there. When I think about victory, I think about doing something great for God's glory. That's what I think about. Doing something great for God's glory. Leaving a trail of faith for, for, for people to eat for years and centuries to come. Leaving a life, a legacy. All you have is your legacy. Being 
being a people that did something that no other generation did for God's glory. Point number one. You can't shout victory if you're not ready to fight. You cannot shout victory if you're not ready to fight. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I take it you guys know the story of David and Goliath. Before we dig into the story here, I do have to say a few things. I, I, I first of all, I'm offended that this story has sadly become a children's story that's only told to little kids about how they can overcome bullying. This is a radical display of the power of God. Seen in one man who stood with God. This is one of the most radical miracles in the Bible. And this wasn't some old season uh, a preacher who'd been doing it for years. This was a teenager. Any teenagers in the house? This story is powerful. Very, very powerful. Some chronologists say that David was born about 1085, anointed at 1070 in the passage right before this, chapter 16. So he's probably about 14 and a half, 15 years old. If you're a teenager, you can do extraordinary things for God. Extraordinary things for God. Extraordinary things for God. This account is so powerful because it shows that David is just like Jesus. He's just like Jesus. Before he even gets into the battle, he's set apart by the Spirit of God. Jesus was set apart by the Spirit of God. If you're a Christian, you're set apart by the Spirit of God. David is sent to the battlefield by his father. No different than Jesus is sent to this battlefield by his heavenly father. Dare we say Jesus came down just so that we can go up. David in this text that we'll read is scorned by his family, looked down upon by his family. And we know that Jesus was, was scorned by his family. His own family tried to make him not be a disciple. I don't know if you've had that happen. Sometimes that happens in the kingdom of God. You start to see the victory in the cross and you need to become a Christian and your own family scorns your decision. Take hope in Jesus. Take hope in David. When David arrived on the scene here and we look at it, this, this text, everybody was dejected. There was no enthusiasm. There was a faithlessness that could be felt. When Jesus comes to this earth, I think he sees the exact same thing. And yet we are to be just like David. We are to be just like Jesus. That as David found his passion in his relationship with God. That we've got to find a passion for God in our relationship with God. Let me tell you something. If you're looking for the passion in the church. And the church is your God. You're in trouble. If you're looking for the passion in your marriage. And your marriage is your God. You will be in trouble. And let me tell you something. Being a teenager and giving in to peer pressure is overrated. All of a sudden, you're 19, you got some kids, you're like, oh no, what, what happened here? <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on, I need some advice from my parents. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Check this out. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. They're the enemies of God, you know. They're gathering their forces just like we are. It says they gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephnes Damnon between Soko and Ezek. Saul and the Israelites assembled and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up the battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named 
Goliath. Now, when you study out the, the history of this guy, Goliath, the word champion meant somebody who killed 100 people for 100 years. Now, there's, 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 there's some argument as to how long this guy did it. But to kill 100 people for 100 years, to kill 100 people for uh, 10 years, he had taken out a lot of people, Goliath did. He had taken, I don't know what your Goliath is. We'll see through this text. David had several Goliaths to go through before he overcame the real Goliath, the physical Goliath. Says he was a champion who was from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. I mean, this guy was even taller than Michael Hart, who's not here today. Amen. <laughs> Says he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor, weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves. Bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. I mean, he's got all of this stuff and he's got an armor bearer. <laughs> Talk about a formidable opponent for the people of God. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Why are you still a sold out disciple? Why are you trying to evangelize the nations in one generation? It's only a good idea. Why are you trying to persuade your kids to be a Christian? I mean, let the world do it. Why are you reading your Bible? Why are you still in the ministry? Why are you still a part of that church? Why are you still praying? I mean, you haven't had any answers. Why keep praying? Why not just give up and listen to the shout of the devil? You know, as disciples, we can't just shout the war cry. We can't just shout it out. We've got to live it out. You can't shout victory if you're not willing to fight. You can't shout victory if you're not willing to fight. I want to know if there are any fighters here today. If you're here today and you're listening to the word of God, you're a fighter. <laughs> you're a fighter. <laughs> he shouts, why do you line up for battle? He says this here. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? I mean, he didn't say you're, 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 you're servants of God. You're just a servant of Michael Williamson. That's all. You just serve Kip. You're a servant of Saul. That's who you are. You're not in this for God. You're in this for man. That'd make me quite angry. I don't know about you. Choose a man. Have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overthrow him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were angry, took up their battle position, and with God went and conquered. No. That's the book of Second Opinions. They were defeated mentally. 
on hearing the Philistines' words. You know, if you're listening to the word of the devil more than you listen to the word of God, that shows where you're at spiritually. If those negative, critical thoughts are getting through to your heart more than those powerful, positive, amazing words in the Holy Bible are, it just shows where you're at spiritually. The, God, the Bible says so many incredible, powerful, empowering things. Yeah. I'm studying out the book of, of, of Genesis and I'm seeing, I'm going, wow, d- 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 Joseph just saw that whether I'm on top or on bottom, God's with me. Yeah. That, that way I don't have to get my joy from whether I'm having victory or defeat. Yeah. God's always with me. Amen. What took them out is they're listening to the taunt of the Philistines. Now check out David. Now David was the son of Ephraim named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. And in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the time of testing for all Israelites. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. You know, that's Satan. Every morning he takes his stand. He's waiting for you tomorrow morning. He's waiting for you. He's standing right next to your Bible. And he's telling you to pick up that smartphone and check Facebook before you put your face in this book. He's waiting for you. Every morning the devil's there. Every morning he crouches at my door. I wish I could be a Christian and and run on one quiet time for like a week and it could work. It just doesn't work. (laughs) If I have an awesome quiet time on Monday, I'm like ready to go the thrill of victory. And a quiet time is where you spend time with God in prayer and you read the word of God. You take notes and apply it to your life, not anybody else's. That's a quiet time. But when I don't do that, I become a non-Christian the next day or that day. It's like that cartoon, dun, 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 dun. the guy, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, he has the knuckles start dragging and everything, he t- turns into a different person, that's me without God. I need God, I don't know about you. Yeah. No, I need God, I don't know about you. Yeah. See, if you don't see your own need for God, there's no reason why you will fight for your, your own soul or the souls of anybody else. And if you're not fighting for your own soul, you can't fight for the soul of anybody else. I mean, the Israelites had gotten trapped They're not out fighting the battle. They're out shouting and standing there and listening to the devil and listening to Goliath. Verse 17. Now Jesse said to son David, take an epoch of roasted grain, these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. He gives them a food assignment. Thanks. (laughs) Take these ten cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how the brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. That is a total lie. Early in the morning, David left. Notice David gets up early. Early in the morning. I don't know how early you get up. You know what's awesome about getting up early is your mind is fresh. Your heart is fresh. And if the first thing you put in there is the word of God, man, it empowers you to have victory. But if you get up and you get going a couple of different directions like what's happened to me with Michelle gone you'll you'll be facing defeat at 7 30 in the morning right there and you say oh no where's Mia's stuff and I gotta grab Michael Michael go yeah Ah!" 
says he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. There they are again, they're shouting, but they're not doing anything. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left the things with the keeper of the supplies and ran from the battle lines. No, David ran to the battle. He didn't run from the battle. Isn't that powerful? That David ran to the battle? He ran to that individual that needed to know God. He ran. He says, hey, I'm running to the battle. That sister's not doing well spiritually. I'm going to go after her. That brother's not doing well spiritually. I'm going to go after him. He ran to the battle. Why? Because he knew God had given him victory before. As he was talking with him, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines, shouted as usual his defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had said, had been saying, now here's, here's, the, real, here's the real catch to the story. It says, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. And will exempt his father's family from, from taxes in Israel. I mean, that's a great motive to fight the, the, the battles of God, right? You're going to get some money. You're going to get, a, get, a, you're gonna get a, a relationship, right? That's a good reason to join church, right? We read it here, but it happens sometimes. How do we know? Some people fall away because they don't get, they don't, you know, the money, they have money issues or they don't get, you know, I didn't get married and, you know, start looking out there and you hear, listening to Goliath and before, before you know it, you can get taken out. This isn't the great motive. David asked him, the men standing there, what will be done for the, the man who kills this Philistine? He didn't call him a man, he calls him a Philistine. And removes this disgrace from Israel. You notice David's commentary is a little bit different. <laughs> you notice David sees the battle a little bit different. Why? Because David was God focused. That's the next point. If you want victory, you've got to be God focused. David didn't listen to his brother. He didn't listen to, the, he didn't listen to any of those guys. He only listened to God. He was God-focused. Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. What will be done for for the man who kills him? When Eliab, check, ooh, look at this one. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with them, he was excited to see his young brother come down and want to help him. No. He burned with anger at him. Why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few little sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. What have you been doing, Eliab? (laughs) You know, when we're not living by faith, we project how we're doing onto other people. When we're not God-focused, we project how we're doing onto other people. We have a bad attitude. Well, you know, the church isn't doing so well. Really? What do you mean? I don't know. Just, you know, that's just how I feel. <laughs> anything, anything happening in the church? No, I just, you know, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a dark day. It's real, it's real challenging. What's going on? I don't know. I mean, that's, this is a conversation I've had. Yeah. What's going on? Be specific. I don't know. I just, uh. After you ask a few questions, bro, do you have a quiet time? Well, in what sense? Have you read the scriptures? They empower. Have you prayed to God? An hour a day keeps the devil away. You know, all those things you've probably heard. I mean, have you walk, are you walking with God? Are you focused on God? David was focused on God. You can't get victory if you're not God-focused. If you're not God-focused. 
if you're not God motivated. If God isn't why you want to do it. And I, as I read this, I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself as well. Amen. That we as a church have to be God focused. Godly. David just does not let any of this negative talk enter his mind. He calls the Philistine what the Philistine is. He doesn't, he doesn't give him any honor. He's focused. And yet David's loyalty and boldness exposed Eliab's lack of courage. Oftentimes it's boldness that exposes a lack of courage. And Eliab is exposed by being critical of courage. I pray that we don't become critical of courage. Critical of those who want victory for London. Those who want victory for Poland. Those who want victory for Germany. Those who want victory. To do that, we've got to have victory right here. And God is pushing his people. And there's only three, three responses you have to the word of God. You either repent, you run, or you persecute. This is for the members. You either repent... You'll run or you become a persecutor. We've seen all three, haven't we? We've seen all three. And yet we have our God with us. And with God, we are the majority. Verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. (laughs) I mean, you can lose heart on account of a Goliath in your life. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. David says, don't worry guys, I got enough faith for everybody in the church. Let no one lose heart on the count of this Philistine. I got enough faith. Let no one lose heart about the non, no additions at this campus. I got enough faith for us to have baptisms here in the East. That's, that's, that's Sean Hurdy, he feels that way. That's also Mary Jane. She just doesn't do it like a brother. She goes, let no one lose heart. God is with us. Amen. You know, like how sisters do it. You know, that's, that's better for the sisters. Are you that man that wants to see victory? I so appreciate Frank. He, he, just, he just wants to see victory up there in Birmingham. They had victory last week, right? This week. They had victory. Oh, there it is. They had victory this week. Baptism this week. Have you lost heart? Not intellectual belief. Heart. Have you lost heart? You know, you know what heart is, right? Yes. You know when someone's really heartsy, they just give out, they just, they, they just try with all their might. They give all their heart. You know, I love my son, little Michael. He, he, he's just a heartsy guy. Yeah. And I've been challenging him to give all of his heart. See, he's a basketball player. And he's been the best basketball player on his, on, on his team the entire year, but I've been start, I started coaching the team. And he's starting to notice some of these other kids are starting to get good. And, you know, Michael always beats them at, at the game, and then, you know, he had a game against one guy, and he beat him. And, and then Michael, I, I said, Michael, it wasn't about skill. It was about will. Michael came back. Of course, he had victory. He had victory. And yet, what I really respect about him is his heart for God. He, he literally is my son and my brother. He, he's my brother. He convicts me. I wake up and, man, he's having this quiet time before me. Dang it. <laughs> Open the Bible. Come on. Hey, son, how you doing? <laughs> Got it right there. Just have my quiet time, Dad. I'm, you know, like that. I see generations of victory through my son. 
We need so many more young men, so many more young women that believe in the Word of God. I'm so impressed by our, our, our teen leaders. We got some teen leaders in the church, guys. Demeji and Sam. Where's Demeji at? He's back there serving. And where's Sam? Where's Sam? Where's our sister Sam? There she is. They've been looking after our teens, and it's incredible to see how they're, they're pulling them together and just really instilling in them that big brother, big sister mentality right there. And Demeji is just a, you know, he is very, very much so very... the. Where my son is at is largely due to Demeji's influence, him being a young David in our church. Let's keep going. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep. Now, if you study out what kind of lion, it was an Asian lion, 420 pounds. Study out what kind of, it was a Syrian bear. Uh, 600 pounds. Okay? The, the bear and the lion in this area, these were, these were large animals that David overcame with God. It says, when the lion or bear came and carried off the sheep of the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go. The Lord be with you. <laughs> you see a man talking like that. Amen. God's with you. Amen. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. I mean, after all, you need the weapons of the world to defeat, right? We gotta have video and content and all these things of the world to get victory, right? We, we, we gotta just put on a musical display to get people excited about God and use what the world uses to get victory, right? No, you can have victory by being in deep love with God and trusting Him. Deep love with God and trusting Him. Saul so dressed him in, these, in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him. David fastened on a sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. He said, I, I can't go in these, he said to Saul. So I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff, his hand, chose five smooth stones from the street. So you want to choose five just in case you miss. Also, Goliath had brothers. And so many believe that not only was David thinking that Goliath could get taken out, but what if the, the next brother comes, the next brother comes, the next brother. See, David was always thinking ahead. He was always thinking ahead. He was not unaware of Satan's schemes. Meanwhile, in verse 41, Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? And a Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword, the spear, the javelin. I come against you in the name of the almighty Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Notice he didn't say, you defied me. He says, you've defied God. You're picking a fight with God. You're telling me that it's okay to be an atheist? You're fighting against God. You're telling me it's okay to be involved in a same-sex relationship? You're, you're, you're offending God. You're telling me I have to be a pluralist where I have to agree that there is no such thing as absolute truth? You're picking a fight with God. 
You're fighting against God. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the earth. The whole world, look, he knew world evangelism back then. He says the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered there will know. It's not by sword, spear, science, all these other things. It says not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He'll give you into our hands. As the Philistine moved close to attack David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out the stone. He slung it, and it struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone, with the sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. See, it's not enough just to knock, knock, knock Goliath down. It says he ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his scabbard. You know, it's very funny. You know, oftentimes when you talk to someone about God and you start really getting to their heart and they start getting challenged, the classic spiritual reaction is, don't judge me. Don't judge me. The Bible says, well, hold on, wait a minute. That's in my Bible, which the Bible says is a sword. So you can't use my sword to defend your lack of faith in God. However, we do see David use the Philistine sword against him. <laughs> he took that sword out. And the Bible says, he drew it from the scabbard and after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. See, whenever you deal with sin, you want to be very clear that you dealt with all of it. <laughs> what happens after that? Then the Philistines saw their hero was dead. They turned and they ran. Look at the church here. Watch this here. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, all the way to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn among the uh, Shaharan road to Gath, to Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camps. David took the Philistines' head down, took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David go out to meet the Philistines, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that? That young man. Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king. I don't know. The king said, find out whose son that young man is and bring him here. He needs to be in the church. <laughs> as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. And David still holding the Philistine's head. This guy is awesome. Whose son are you? Saul asked. David said, I'm the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Don't tell me the Bible is not awesome. I mean, that is an awesome, awesome account of victory for God and God's people. Question I have for you is, are you God-focused or man-focused? Are you God-focused? Or are you man-focused? The Israelites start calling this Philistine instead of an uncircumcised, you know, I love that part, uncircumcised Philistine. Yeah. What was the covenant relationship that Christians were supposed to have? They were supposed to be what? Circumcised. Have you ever thought about that? I did. I just put it, you know, God didn't say, okay, you want to be my people? You got to get your toenails cut. <laughs> you want to be my people? You got to be bald. No. He goes, what will expose their idolatry of sex? 
What will expose their idolatry of sensuality? Hmm. Circumcision. There we go. Okay. You want to be my covenant people? You got to be circumcised. That way if you're standing before any idol or any pagan, you will have an uncomfortable witness right there when they recognize that you're, you're, you're actually the people of God. Yeah. And we should not be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing, that, that, that actually happened one time. I, I never forget studying the Bible. Didn't want to become a true Christian. Ran from God. Totally ran from God. Went out to the club. Want to party. Want to drink. Got to numb your pain. You know, that's why a lot of people drink. You get enough drinks, you can numb how you really feel. Got involved in a very impure relationship. And just before the, the relationship really went to an area where it should not went, the woman says, you know, I've been trying to give my life to Christ. I'll give you a call tomorrow. <laughs> That's how far sin will take you. I'm so grateful that people pursued me, studied with me, challenged me, told me uncomfortable truths so that I could be a true disciple. I so appreciate the kingdom, the church, the Bible. I pray that you appreciate the kingdom, the church, the Bible, the people that have said the hard things to you. Because the only true victory is when you go to heaven. Yes. They call him a man. David said he's an uncircumcised Philistine. Yeah. They knew he was an uncircumcised Philistine. But when you're, when you're, you're not God-focused, you redefine sin. They redefined it. That's the world we live in. We don't call sin, sin anymore. We redefine it. You don't have an anger problem. You just have a short fuse. No, you have an anger problem according to the Bible. Yeah. You didn't have an argument, you just had a bump. Yeah. Do you guys have an argument? No, not really an argument. I mean, that's strong terminology. Just had a little bump. I don't see that in the Bible. You don't have a forgiveness issue, you just have a trust issue. Yeah. That sounds, didn't that sound cute? Oh, I, I have trust issues. Actually, you don't have a trust issue. You actually have a forgiveness issue. But we know that saying, I have a forgiveness issue, is even a problem amongst those who don't love God and are not true Christians. How many people do you say, yeah, I have a forgiveness issue? You hear someone like that, wow, that person probably is going to study the Bible and become a true Christian. But most people, oh, I have trust issues. No, really, you've been injured, you have a forgiveness issue. We live in a time we redefine sin. Instead of saying homosexuality is perversion, we don't believe in hating people. That you can't be a Christian and hate people. You gotta hate sin. Amen. Amen. But instead of letting the Bible define it as perversion, we say, well, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Yeah. It is with an alternative destination. <laughs> Bible says you're drunk. Yeah. The world will tell you you have a disease. You don't have a disease. You're enslaved to sin. Bible says, if you're not fruitful, you're not faithful. Yeah. True disciples go, well, you know, well. I don't want to be legalistic. No, let's just be realistic. Yes. Are you God-focused or man-focused? See, when you're God-focused, you're focused on what God wants. God wants victory. We all want victory, do we not? Yes. Don't we love to celebrate? Yes. We love to celebrate. And don't tell me this is just an American thing. Even I see the British love to celebrate. Yes. 
Trust me. I see. I have a pub right next to my house, and I walk by. <sighs> Football scores. One guy goes, mate, I'm not religious. I go, yeah, you are religious. The greatest religion I've seen from my perspective here is football. People will go anywhere, do anything, and give up everything for football. They will. If I start asking you what football team you, 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 agree, you, you support right now, you will vehemently, whoever you are, I don't want to go there, but whoever you are, you will stand up and go, Manchester United. Someone else, Tottenham. And then they, Arsenal. And then others, even though we paid for our team, Chelsea. We have conviction in these areas that are pointless areas to be excited about. Pointless areas to be fired up about. These victories that don't really, really mean victory. Church, it's time for us to get God focused. It's time for us to get God focused. If you've been in Bible studies and you're trying to help people become Christians, you're involved in God's work. If you're not in Bible studies, you're not trying to help people become Christians, it's only a matter of time before you'll stop being one yourself. And you don't have to worry about the church cutting you off. In John chapter 15, the Bible says if you're not making disciples, Jesus himself cuts you off. The Bible teaches very simply that judgment begins with the family of believers. We see right here, this is an awesome text of victory. And it was victory because of one real principal reason. David was God-focused. God-focused. I just got to ask you, when's the last time you fasted for victory? When's the last time you fasted? You know, I got to lift up Colby and all the brothers in the west, west side right there. You know, they say, we want victory. They went on like a four or five day fast right there. <laughs> I believe they're still fasting, actually. Why? They just want to see victory. Amen. They're giving all. They're, 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 they're God-focused. See, if we want to see victory, we got to be God-focused. we got to do God's things in God's word, God's way. David just said, okay, I, I silenced the criticism by going and doing it myself. I silenced the negativity by going and doing it and making it happen. And if there's one thing that cut me the most is David wanted victory for the glory of God. He didn't want victory to be a great church leader. You know, sometimes if you become a leader, you just want everybody to see you as an awesome church leader. Wow, you're so amazing. Oh, really? Oh, it's nothing. You, God will hear that and go, oh, really, it's nothing, huh? Okay, well, why don't I put the lid on it for a while? Okay, Lord, I need you. It's something. It's called sin. I'm evil. I'm sorry for wanting to be. Huh? Are you God focused? Are you God focused? I want you to think about it. Am I God focused? Or am I man focused? Am I problem focused? Do I have more faith in problems than I have in the word of God? You know, you can have faith in bitterness. You can have faith in criticism. I see it in London all the time. People really believe in it. They think it works. It's awesome. Oh, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good until I start talking to you, but <laughs> what are you doing here? Aren't you an American? Why don't you be over in the lot? Golly, you're messing my head. Come on. Just and sadly that creeps into the church. Yeah. When we're not out fighting the Lord's battles. Yeah. I want to challenge you to fast, to be personally fruitful. 
I want to challenge you to fast to be personally fruitful. And I want to challenge you to respond as to whether you take the challenge to the person that disciples you today. If you're visiting for the first time, I want to challenge you to study the Bible and find out what it takes to have true victory biblically. And then let God tell you how, what it means to be saved. Don't go on your own opinion. Don't go on your own emotion. Don't, don't do any of that. Become a Bible Christian the way the Bible says. And you'll have victory for, for forever. Forever. And lastly, the agony of defeat. 2 Samuel chapter 11. You guys still with me? Yeah. 2 Samuel chapter 11. David gets himself in trouble. You say, what time is this? Um, this is the time of the year. It's right around the end of, uh, end of March. Getting ready to go into springtime. He's uh, had some incredible things happen. He's had some victories. He's gotten a little comfortable. And the Bible says in chapter 11, verse 1, In the springtime at the time when kings go off to what? War. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. He's not in the battle. Yeah. One evening, David got up from his bed. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. One evening. <laughs> David got up from his What are you doing sleeping in the evening? Laziness. Wickedness. Sleep. I love when I talk to some of the campers. Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> Yeah, you're tired and you're in sin. They're sold out and then they're sold out with kids. Those are two different Christians. David right here is really in, in hurt. He's, he's, he's sleeping a lot. He's, he's, he's lazy. It says, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, Uriah the Hittite? Now, you know it's so powerful. Uriah the Hittite. Hittite is a Gentile name. He actually wasn't even a Jew. This is a guy that loved their God. This is a guy that got so This is a guy that said, hey, Dave, I want to be with you, man. Let's go do great things. Then David sent messengers to get her. She, slept, she came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Oh my goodness. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the place and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the uh, entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. I mean, this guy is loyal. Oh, this just, just look how loyal he is. And yet there are two lessons here. When God is sovereign and he chooses leadership, even if that leadership is in sin and gives you direction, be humble. It could save your life. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the Ark of Israel and Judah are staying in the tents. And my, master's, my master and Joab's lord's men are encamped in the open. How could I go home, go to my house, and eat and drink and lie with my wife? 
Verse 17. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. We stop right there. This is simply the agony of defeat, is it not? David is defeated. I believe we are living in a time where the agony of defeat is becoming very synonymous with everyday life. School shootings. The numbing feeling of a school shooting. Church shootings. Last week we had two individuals stabbed in Camden. Two young people. I, wish we, I wonder if we, what would have happened if we would have shared our faith with them. The agony of defeat. You look at this chapter and I, I, I mean I've named it all kinds of things. Lust at first sight. Boredom will send you to hell. Fatal attraction. Being caught in a spin cycle. Uh, how did I get here? The autopsy of an affair. Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> What took David out is being idle. He was idle. Let's be serious here. Yeah. If we're not in the battle, guys, if we're idle, sin will take you much further than you ever think you go. I'm sure David didn't think he was going to be involved in murder. I'm sure he didn't think he was going to be involved in adultery. He was just looking. But his laziness led him to do unthinkable things. I just got to ask a question. What characterizes you? Are you characterized by someone who's in the battle, a hard worker for the kingdom of God? Or are you lazy? Laziness right here got him in big time trouble. Big time trouble. And then he has Uriah the Hittite killed. Why did he have him killed? Because he knew that it was a capital punishment. See, Uriah, actually, if he found out that David had slept with her, he actually could have had David killed because that was the law back then. And so David knew what he was doing. The level of deceit that will creep into your heart. Laziness will take you further than you ever think. I know you think it's just, oh, I'm just too lazy to have a quiet time. I'm just too lazy to follow up, too lazy to share, too lazy to come to church, too lazy to ask my boss if I can get a schedule that can support a, the kingdom. I just don't want to do it, but it will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will land in the agony of defeat. Now, David gets confronted with his sin in chapter 12. And the first thing he did was admit it. Yeah. Second thing he did was he quit it. And the third thing he did was he would forget it. So I want you today, you know, oftentimes we have a congregational where it's a time where we're doing so great and everything. Not today. We're not doing well spiritually. And I really believe we have a lot of individuals that aren't in the battle. How do you get close relationships? Studying the Bible with people. Yeah. You didn't come to church because you guys play football together. And if you did, hey, there's a goal there. There's an agenda. If you're visiting for the first time and we're trying to take you out and cook for you and do all these nice things, we totally have an agenda. Everybody's got an agenda. We want you to join us and build a great family here in London so that we can give hope to all of Europe. That's our agenda. So they know there's a God here. Today's the day to do soul searching. I'm looking in my own heart. I'm fasting, I'm sharing, and I'm going after it. And I challenge you, follow my example as I follow Christ. Follow my example as I follow Christ. Our church is way too big to be having marginal growth. If you are a disciple, you can make a disciple. If you are saved and you're a Christian, you can make a disciple. Persevere. Don't give up.
Matthew chapter 7 where it says ask, seek, knock. When it says ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open, that's what's called a continual verb. What it really means is go on asking. Go on seeking. Go on knocking. So it says you got to persevere. You got to admit it. You got you to quit it. You got to forget it, whatever your sin is. <laughs> but then you got to go on asking. Go on seeking. Go on knocking. You say, I'm doing all that. Keep doing it. Persevere. The one thing that you cannot, that will not replace, you got to be a persevering Christian. Yes. And let me tell you something. We're going we're gonna to look back and we're going to go, wow, look what God did. Because we decided not just to shout the war cry, but to get God focused and to live it out. To get God focused and not be man focused. Sometimes the worst person you can focus on is yourself. We decided that if we are lazy, hey, the agony of the feet is around the corner. And it's time to actually go and make some disciples. I challenge you to put together a number goal. How many people are you going to share with daily? I challenge you to put together a number goal. How many people are you going to reach out to and follow up with daily? I challenge you to put together a goal. Jesus set goals. You know, if you don't set a goal, you'll hit it every time. What is your goal for, fruit, for fruitfulness? If you're a teenager, what's your goal for the church? If you're a married Christian, what's your goal for the church? What's your goal? What do you want the church to be like? If you're single, what's your goal for the church? If you're a campus student, how many campus students you want in the church? It's God's kingdom. Let's work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. Amen. Let's experience the thrill of victory. Yeah. Not be lazy and face the agony of defeat. That's the lesson for today. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot UK And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.